0: My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire, and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we go through the Word of God. I'm so glad that you're joining me here as we start today today. Uh continuing through the book of Proverbs and I'm enjoying this journey. We're going to be looking at the second half of Proverbs chapter five today. Uh, just a reminder to subscribe to all of my social media. Links are all in the description below. Podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify. Uh, let's get the word of God out. Please comment as much as you can when you when you comment on these videos uh, on whichever platform you're listening to them they are such an encouragement to other people and I really appreciate that many of you take time to write detailed comments and it really is so encouraging to many other people so please continue to do that We're continuing our journey through the book of Proverbs and this is a very interesting perspective because we are reminded that Solomon was taught so many of these Proverbs by his father, King David, and he is then passing them on to his son. I don't think David gets as much credit for uh, the Proverbs of Solomon as maybe he should. And Solomon's warning in these opening Proverbs uh, uh, to his son as if his son is already on the right path, but he wants to make sure his son doesn't get off the path. And uh, in the beginning of chapter five, Solomon is teaching his son uh, about the the associations with loose women, and uh, and it could be there could have been other circumstances where he would have written about an immoral man, but he was talking to his son, and he was saying this is this is what you need to be careful of. And I, I think that these are great warnings for us to teach our children. I, I think so many people don't learn this until they're adults. And they're like, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's the way I was meant to live. I didn't realize that that wasn't part of God's standard for my life or how he was uh, trying to protect me. And And that's what this is all about. And so the first half of chapter five, and if you haven't had a chance to watch this, please go back and watch it is about the warnings of staying away from loose women. And then we get to the second half of chapter five here, where, where basically Solomon says, now this is what you need to do with what you've got at home. Okay. With your own wife. When you get married, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to treat your own wife, uh, which is very, very important. So let's get into that today and uh, start with verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Solomon reminded his son that God had provided a wife for him for his sexual needs, not just only for that, obviously, but that that was part of the covenant relationship was uh for his sexual needs. so instead of neglecting what God had given to him, he's saying to his son, You've got to renew your gratitude to God for that and focus upon what God has already blessed you with uh, Bruce Walkey, water in in this verse. As in Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 1 stands for quenching one's sexual thirst. Satisfying the sexual drive is likened to taking in solid food in Proverbs 30 verse 20 and water and food in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 17. John A. Trap. Lust makes the heart hot and thirsty. God therefore sends men to this well, to this cistern. Adam Clark. Be satisfied with your own wife. Let your wife see that she has reverence her husband. Not tempt him by inattention or unkindness to seek elsewhere what he has a right to expect but cannot find at home. First Corinthians chapter 7 verse 15 says to a husband and wife, uh, the Apostle Paul says, "Do not hold, withhold sex from one another, except for a time uh, in the month, and it meant when a woman was menstruating, and then you were meant to pray and fast during that time. But neither one of you are meant to withhold." And and I do, I, I've done a lot of marriage counselling over the years, and I can tell you that uh, the withholding of sex from a woman to a man does not justify a man going and committing adultery. It does not. But you are not. Fulfilling your marital obligations by you withholding that. So you need to understand that that's just you, you, you don't have permission to do that uh, within within a godly marriage. And I'm just talking about a normal, healthy marriage. I'm not talking about where there's abuse or any of those kind of things. Um so you don't have that option. So don't 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 push your husband to look for another road that might end in a road that he shouldn't go. He already has a road, he already has a, w- a well, he already has a cistern, and that's where he's meant to be fed from. Uh, God's provision for our sexual need is found in the marital bed. That's where it's meant to be found. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, the, he, the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, it's like pure, fresh, running water. And even though some are dissatisfied with uh, what God provides in their marriage, uh, I think that dissatisfaction is a re- more a reflection on them than it is on their spouse. Uh, David Guzik said this, ancient or modern, an over-sexualized culture promotes the idea that sexual satisfaction is mainly a physical sensation. While only a fool would deny the physical enjoyments of sex, a more mature mind sees that intimacy, the open, unhindered revelation, reception, and sharing of oneself with another is also a great reward in a sexual relationship. When sex is reserved for the biblical boundaries of marriage over the years and decades, it says this, I am here for you, and you are here for me. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. I know you more than anyone else, yet I love you. You know me more than anyone else, yet you love me. Our children and home life are protected and safe. We are not slaves to our sexual desires. We live by principles greater than our sexual impulses. And we will remain together and supportive of each other as we grow old. And I really like that. I think that should be a a, a uh, motto to live by for married couples who love Jesus. The world, the flesh, the devil, they do an incredibly awesome job in selling us this lie that sex can uh, be focused only on pleasure. And that, that, that is greater than what God promises in, in obedience to his plan, which is that sex should have meaning. It's, yes, pleasure is a part of it, but it also has meaning. It's the meaning of intimacy. It's the meaning of understanding the, the marriage covenant. Verse 16. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Question mark. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Uh, So all of a sudden, the image changes. Uh, The idea is that Solomon's son should regard his sexual activity like a supply of life-giving water that should be set in the right channel. It's for the satisfaction of your wife, and it is not for the satisfaction of strangers with you. Alan P. Ross, what is at issue is private versus common property. The images of a cistern, well or fountain are used of a wife because she, like water, satisfies desires. Warren Weasby. Solomon compares enjoying married love to drinking pure water from a fresh well. But committing sexual sin is like drinking polluted water from the gutter or sewer. To commit sexual sin is to pour this beautiful river into the streets and into the public squares. What a waste. Warren Weasby said that. And that's what this is. What Remember, this is Solomon pleading with his son. It's not judgmental to you and to me. It's him teaching his son. Verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Solomon alluded here to God's plan for marriage, even if he didn't follow it himself. Uh, You can read about that in 1 Kings 11. God's best for humanity is to marry one wife in their youth and then rejoice with that wife for the rest of your days. And now life circumstances mean that there will be many different ways that this is actually lived out. But when a man marries a woman in his, in his youth, God's best for him is to rejoice in her until death parts them. That's, that's God's best. But we know that life plans don't always work out with that. I've seen it in my family. You've seen it in your family. Uh, But this is an understanding, just remember, this is a general principle that Solomon's trying to teach his son. Um, Rejoice with the wife of your youth. The exhortation here, David Guzik says, to rejoice with the wife of your youth means there is an element of choice involved. There are times when a husband or wife needs to choose to rejoice in their spouse. Our affections are much more affected by where we choose to focus them than people actually realize. I I totally agree with him. Now, we don't have actually any record that Solomon committed adultery. And (laughs) even though Technically, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. They were all legal partners in the legal traditions of the day. Um, but he obviously fell far short of what God's desire was for one man to be married to one woman, which was declared in his word. Solomon would have read that in the scriptures because it was written hundreds of years before Solomon. But he fell short of that. And he, And because the law allowed him to have multiple wives and concubines, he had them because it was legal. Uh, so he he fell into the trap of saying, "Well, it's legal, therefore, even though it's unbiblical, I'm going to do it." And and that's where 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 are we right now? We're we're we're, f- we're faced with that moral dilemma all the time, where something's legal, but we know it's obviously unbiblical. So does that mean we go ahead and do it? Solomon did, and it didn't work out so well for him. And he 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 failed to find satisfaction in the wife of his youth, and he wrote about this in the Song of Solomon because. If you read Song of Solomon, you knew that he knew what it meant to to be in love and deep intimacy with the wife of his youth. But he only enjoyed it for a very short period of time. And, and, and his failure in this area um, shows that if a man is not satisfied with one woman, the wife of his youth, then he's not going to be satisfied with 1,000 women. That's exactly what happened to Solomon. If you're not satisfied with the wife of youth, then the blame is almost always upon you and not upon your wife. It's very simple. And Alan Ross said, Common sense would say that such brief liaisons with strangers give no time for intimacy that require a lifelong bonding with the wife of one's youth. Warren Weasby, The adulterer watches the river turn into a sewer, but the faithful husband sees the water become the finest wine. I love that verse 19. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times, and always be enraptured with her love. the The point. Again, is made that God has provided a place for a man to satisfy his sexual needs in the undefiled marriage bed with the wife of his youth, and it's easy to feel that that only you know that real satisfaction can only be found outside a marriage. But that's an illusion; it's a deception. Grass is never greener, uh, Derek Kidner. It's highly important to see sexual delight in marriage as God given, and history confirms that when marriage is viewed chiefly as a business arrangement. Not not only is God's bounty misunderstood, but human passion seeks other outlets. Warren Weasby, God created sex not only for reproduction, but also for enjoyment. And he didn't put the marriage wall around sex to rob us of pleasure, but to increase pleasure and protect it. So true. So profound. Stay always enraptured with her love. Um... That's really important here. Always be enraptured with her love. This phrasing implies that there's an element of choice again for you to choose to be enraptured. We usually think of uh, being enraptured with her love is something that can happen, um, to somebody through some, you know, mystical force, you know, like, Oh, I'm just enraptured. Um, but what we love is what we have chosen to put our affections upon. And a husband can choose to be enraptured with love towards his wife. uh, Even if if he fears that that love has been diminished or died, he can choose that. Uh, Alan P. Ross on Enraptured, the husband should be captivated by the love of his wife the word shagar the hebrew word signifies a staggering gait and so here expresses the ecstatic joy of a captivated lover it may even suggest being toxicated with love uh with her love at all times bruce walkey the emphasis is on the singular one man for one woman. Though Solomon strayed far from this ideal himself, at least at one time in his life he recognised the value of it. Sensual men can find a satisfaction from his wife that no other woman can ever give him. Marriage is here thought of as strongly monogamous. Verse 20. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Solomon just described how God has provided uh, for a husband's sexual needs in in a godly covenant marriage relationship. So that being the case, it makes no sense for a man to fall in the trap of an immoral woman. He shouldn't fall into her trap or an embrace because he's got no reason to. Bruce Walkey, in view of the better way of conjugal bliss with the blessed wife, involvement with the unchaste wife is absurd. <laughs> yeah, totally. Verse twenty one. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. This is God pondering about us. Uh, I, I, I love this. It's an important reminder for any man who's dealing with the temptation of an immoral woman. Uh, human nature, It's human nature to think that that sin, if it's found out, it'll be excused because of certain circumstances. And if it is found out, uh, well, it won't be made public. Um listen if you think that sin can be excused just because nobody knows about it um and and a lot of people have been you know tempted by what they think is a risk free opportunity Then Solomon here rightly reminds you and I that God sees everything (laughs) and there's nothing that he's not watching. And before him, no sin is hidden because God ponders all our paths. G. Campbell Morgan, here as everywhere, wisdom consists in recognizing that human life is ever under the observation and within the government of our Lord Jehovah. Yes, that's right. Don't forget that. Don't forget he's always watching. Oh, I say to our kids all the time: Jesus is listening. Jesus is watching. You understand? God, he, he's watching. He's listening. Like you know, no point lying to me. Well, yeah, you, you can do it, but you're gonna have to ask for forgiveness later on. Verse twenty-two. His own iniquities and sins entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. This is a very interesting imagery here. Sexual sin, especially the violation of a marriage covenant, uh, it's a sin that entraps and it destroys. It brings death. It doesn't bring life. He will die for lack of instruction. Uh, It's God's compassion for us that he gives us this instruction in his word um, for our sexual conduct and how we're meant to express it. Now, let me talk about Adam Clark uh, here gives a great uh, statement on in the chords of his sin. Most people who follow unlawful pleasures think they can give them up whenever they please, but sin repeated becomes customary. Custom soon engenders habit and habit in the end assumes the form of necessity The man becomes bound with his own cords and so is led captive by the devil at his will. Charles Spurgeon, yes, has an amazing quote about this particular verse. The lifelong occupation of the ungodly man is to twist ropes of sin. All his sins are as so much twine and cord out of which ropes may be made. His thoughts and his imaginations are so much raw material. And while he thinks of evil, while he contrives transgression, while he lusts after filthiness, while he follows after evil devices, while with head and hand and heart he pursues eagerly after mischief, he is still twisting evermore the cords of sin, which are afterwards only to bind him. In other words, Alan P. Ross says, if the young man is not captivated by his own wife, but becomes captivated with a stranger in sinful acts, then his own sins and iniquities will captivate him, and he will be led to ruin. Verse 23. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Bruce Walkey. This refers to an eternal death, in opposition to the eternal life of the righteous path, not merely to either a premature death or a clinical death. In the greatness of his folly, oh what madmen are they that bereave themselves of a room in that city of Pearl for a few dirty delights and carnal pleasures. John Trapp. My observation uh, from the second half of Proverbs chapter five is uh it's this actually uh, a healthy sex life. Is what God intended for a marriage, and if you don't have one, you need to get one. You, you need to go and get some Christian counselling. You need to read books. You need to do whatever you need to do. Um, if you say, "Oh well, no, it's been too long," you don't understand, Pastor. Listen, I've been told, you know, uh, my whole ministry career that there's a lot of things I don't understand. You just don't understand. You just, apparently I don't understand anything. Um, can I tell you what I understand? I understand from the Word of God that you, if you are married, are meant to have a healthy sex life uh and so you need to have that make sure that you do not deny each other if you've been denying uh your your marriage partner then you need to stop it and you know tonight's the night there you go uh but if you're single wait wait you know god knows your desire to be married but it's better to wait and be eternally rewarded than sin and pay an eternal price and that's, that's the, 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 warning here that Solomon is giving to his son. And it's my observation to you. If you're married, be committed to a healthy sex life. Why is it that most married couples before they're married can't keep their hands off each other? And when they get married, they can't, they don't want their hands to touch each other. Why is that? That's the devil. I'll tell you that. That's why. And, uh, and, and I encourage you to make sure that, that you and I pursue, uh, Sexual relationships that are within the boundaries that God intended because that's where the most enjoyment, fulfillment and happiness will be found. And uh, and I I say all that in Jesus name because that's what he died for is so that we could have the fulfillment of everything that God intends for us. And that includes having a healthy sex life in our marriages. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, allow this to just be truths that sink into our hearts and uh, and i pray lord for anybody who's struggling in this area lord i pray that they would it just open doors of opportunity for them to be able to find the right help and counsel and guidance in jesus name i pray amen thank you so much for listening for more content please don't forget to check out my youtube channel anthony p richards have a great day